Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That is uh, the text on this fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Uh, And as you're finding your way way there or clicking your way there, it'll also be up on the screen for you. Uh, I've been doing something over the past few weeks uh, that I didn't tell you uh, for the messages, and that is that I have been drawing um, the passages from what is called the lectionary. Um, Now, think of the lectionary as an interdenominational Bible reading plan uh, that aligns with the Christian calendar and then rotates on a three-year cycle. Uh, So if you've come from maybe more liturgical backgrounds, you've probably heard of the lectionary. If you come from a purely evangelical background or unchurched background, you probably have no idea what the lectionary is. Uh, But we've been doing this little experiment where I've been um, preaching over the past few weeks from the lectionary. Uh, And it's good for a lot of reasons. It helps us uh, with diversity of Scripture. Uh, So the way the lectionary is set up is that for every Sunday in the church calendar, there's an Old Testament reading, a reading from the wisdom literature, that'd be Psalms or Proverbs. Proverbs. Uh, there's a gospel reading and then an epistle reading, the epistle being the letters that Paul and other uh, folks wrote. Uh, so it has each of those four, and uh, the preacher can then choose which one of those four to preach from on that Sunday. Uh, so it does a great job of, of kind of giving us diversity of Scripture. Uh, it helps us align what we're learning with what churches all over the world, literally all over the world, are also learning uh, on that same Sunday from multiple denominations. Uh, It keeps the pastor from preaching only what they are comfortable with or passages they prefer, Uh, so that's probably a good thing. Uh, But as with anything, the lectionary has drawbacks as well, Uh, so we're trying an experiment. Until Easter, we'll be doing uh, preaching from these lectionary passages, uh, kind of in lieu of traditional uh, sermon series that we typically have done. Now, that being said, uh, some of you may know this, but I plan out the sermons, the scriptures for the sermons, a year in advance. So after this little experiment, we will return to kind of our normally scheduled programming with uh, series and things like that. Uh, But we'll use that as an evaluation to kind of plan what we're doing next year. Uh, We'll use this little experiment. So uh, so that's what we've been doing. If you wonder, uh, in fact, I got a couple of questions this week, like, hey, where where do these passages come from when they're not in a series? And the answer is they come from the lectionary. So Um, So that's the answer. That's probably more information than you guys were interested in. Um, But (laughs) some of you are like, whoa. Uh, But but, uh, I wanted to share that with you because I felt a little bit self-conscious because we're normally always like, here's where we're going and this is the series and all of that. And I didn't want you to think that I was just like pulling stuff out of midair, that we are in fact following the lectionary for here the next few weeks. So the lectionary text has us in Luke chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 11, and I want to read it uh, in our hearing together today. Uh, It says this, Uh, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their uh, nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so full that they began to sink. This is an emergency of abundance. (laughs) Now when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men and women. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, For a moment, as we kind of like orient ourselves to this passage, I want us to look in on this passage, just observe this story and begin to understand. Uh, Now, this lake shore outside of Capernaum uh, has a series of steep inlets with a zigzagging shoreline uh, that actually forms a natural amphitheater. Uh, And so Jesus Jesus has been overwhelmed by the crowds, and so he pushes out on a boat, and it has a very practical purpose. Uh, that by virtue of being out just a little bit on the boat in this natural amphitheater, it provides the acoustics so that the crowds that were gathered there that morning or that day would be able to hear. And now the other thing is that now it puts Jesus on full display, so the crowd also begins to see all the events that are about to unfold. Now the fishermen that are there, they're cleaning their nets, they had tried all night to catch fish but to no avail. Now, you should know that uh, the best fishing was at night, which meant that any good fisherman, uh, after a night of not having caught anything, would certainly cut their losses and try again the next evening. Uh, Never, ever, ever would a fisherman consider the prospect of trying to fish again in the daylight after having caught nothing all night. And this is really this little bit of knowledge that the best fishing happens at night. Now, I grew up in southwestern Kansas. My family were fishermen, but it never really caught on with me. Uh, I never really got the point, Uh, particularly since we never ate the fish. We just always catch and release. People would like, oh, you catch the fish and then you eat them. And the answer was always no, it just is fun. But for me, the answer was no, it's just not that fun, right? So So I don't know a lot about fishing, but those of you that know fishing, the best fishing is at night. And so this is what makes Jesus' encouragement to throw the nets over during the day almost preposterous. Like, just almost, just crazy left field, throw the nets out during the day. Uh, But obviously there is something to this man, thinks Simon. I mean, here a great crowd has gathered. Uh, He's already performed some miracles. He's done some stuff. He's getting a crowd of people around him. And so Simon is like, there's something to this guy. So maybe I should do what he says. And so Peter does what he asks and gets something that he never would have dreamed of, and that is two boats full of fish. Having looked in on the story and observed the story, now let's put ourselves into the story and put a little modern spin on it. Uh, Put yourself in the place of Simon Peter for a moment. I want you to picture yourself um, doing what you do on a day-to-day basis in your line of work. Uh, There you are, 
uh, doing what real estate agents do, doing what you do in the lab and you scientists and engineers. What do engineers do? I don't know, right? Uh, which is what engineers say about pastors. What do pastors do, right? So, so just picture yourself doing whatever it is you do uh, all day in your line of work. You probably have a good picture. That probably isn't difficult. Now picture, uh, there you are doing your regular thing. Now picture Jesus suddenly appearing. And he begins a conversation with you by asking for your help in his line of work. And so he asks you about the best way to join furniture without using screws or nails, right? Jesus was a carpenter. <laughs> so he's asking you a question about his line of work, and as you ponder his carpentry question, he proceeds to give you some advice about your line of work uh, that seems quite, shall we say, uninformed. Uh, it's obvious that Jesus doesn't live in your world, doesn't work where you work, doesn't know anything about what's going on, but, he, but nevertheless, he has offered this piece of advice. Uh, to do what he has asked you to do or encouraged you to do would seem rather pointless, maybe a total waste of time and effort, but nevertheless, you do it begrudgingly, whispering your frustrations under your breath. After all, what harm could be possibly be done? I mean, things haven't been going so well as of late anyway. And so you think there's no harm, no foul in taking Jesus' advice. So you do the very thing that he's asked you to do that seems preposterous in your line of work. And as soon as you do it, things begin to fall in place and everything in your line of work seems to succeed at a level uh, that you had never dreamed possible, that you had never previously thought would ever happen after you followed the advice of this clearly uninformed carpenter. You with me? Uh, and you actually are left in absolute awe. You are awestruck at the events that have taken place, that after doing this very thing that seemed so out of left field, that things finally began to fall in place. And here's the thing. After being so awestruck, you aren't sure whether to call this power or wisdom or perhaps something else. But whatever it is, it's clear that this man demands your attention and perhaps even your allegiance. And then Jesus looks at you with a small smile on his face and it goes like this. He says, you and I are going to be working together a little from now on. <laughs> this little experiment, this little thought experiment, maybe captures just a bit, just a tiny sense of the awe that Peter must have felt with his experience with Jesus. But what I want to focus in on in this passage of Luke this morning is Peter's response. I mean, I'm absolutely amazed at Peter's response. It seems to not make any sense according to the story, right? I mean, Peter, uh, in light of the catch of fish, Peter, Simon Peter does not respond as a fisherman would, but rather he responds as a human being. And here's what I want to say. Now, I'm not trying to say that fishermen aren't human beings, right? But rather, I'm trying to say that there's something greater to Simon Peter's response than what you would expect from a fisherman. Here's what I mean. Peter did not ask Jesus after this huge catch of fish in the daytime. Peter does not look to Jesus and then say, how did you know where all the fish were? 
In fact, if I were Simon Peter and I were a fisherman, I would say, um, Jesus, what is it about all the currents that you were reading that, that you can catch me up on that told you this is where all the fish were? I mean, what, is it, what were you reading in the sky? What were you reading in the water? What were you reading about this particular day? Give me, like, give me all of the tips of how I can know how to catch fish during the day because quite honestly, I don't like being up all night, right? I mean, I would start to think very, very practically about the, the tips that Jesus has to share. Are you, it was, makes sense? I mean, it's just, but, but this is not what Peter does. In fact, I, I would just say like, hey, normally, like fishing during the day, isn't that great? So what makes today different? Um, in fact, I might have even have said this. I might have even said, I might have looked at Jesus and said, you know what? I'm really not in the habit of taking fishing advice from a carpenter. But Peter's response has nothing to do with any of this. But rather, Peter falls at Jesus' knees and says, Lord, I am a sinful man. Whoa, what? I mean, think about it. Like, when we read this passage of Scripture, having all, like a 2,000-year-old history of, of, of Jesus, the Son of God, this, this response seems quite normal, right? Like, oh, yes, Jesus, the Son of God, yes, after a miracle, you would fall at his knees and proclaim him and, and, and honor him or worship him in some way. But, but if you put yourself in the story, you recognize just how odd this response actually is. In other words, Peter knows that this power that has just been put on display is bigger than job skills. <laughs> This is more than a carpenter who does a little fishing on the side, right? But, but rather that Simon Peter is coming into, into contact with something greater. And what I would want to submit to you today is that Simon Peter captures a vision of the power of Christ. And we're in the season of Epiphany and isn't that what the season of Epiphany is actually all about? Is beginning to see the glory of the light of the world. That Epiphany is about the unveiling of Christ to the Gentile world. That he truly is the Messiah for all the world. The light of the world. The glory of God. And so what an appropriate story for Epiphany where Simon Peter comes into contact with the glory of God and it's about begins to understand what it means. And so in a very real sense, Peter gets a glimpse into the glory of God in Christ. And this is why he responds as a man giving away his allegiance rather than as a fisherman interested in new fishing techniques. You with me? Uh, but it turns out that our other lectionary passages of Scripture also have carry a similar theme that there are others in the Scriptures who have captured a vision of God. And it's, in fact, it's not unlike uh, other passages. I want, I want to invite you to just hear Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verses uh, 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, the Lord was seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is Isaiah saying that he saw the Lord. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, 
And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each one with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And I heard them calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is is atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go, be willing to go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Isaiah captures a vision of the holiness of God and then declares, I am a man of unclean lips. After catching a vision of the holiness of God, Peter declares, I am a sinful man. I want to also have, have you look at... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 3, it says this. For what I received, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that after being raised, he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's Paul's politically correct way of saying they have died. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles, and at last he also appeared to me as one who has been abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than, any, than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So whether they, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. Paul captures a vision of the resurrected Christ and declares, I do not deserve to be called an apostle. The prophet Isaiah captures a vision of the glory of God and says, I am a man of unclean lips. Simon Peter captures a vision of the glory of God in Christ and says, Lord, I am a sinful man. At first glance, this feels pretty discouraging, doesn't it? <laughs> At first glance, in each of these stories, upon capturing a vision of the, the power of Christ, upon capturing an epiphany of the glory of God, the holiness of God, and the resurrected Christ, in each one of these, they are brought to a keen awareness of their own brokenness. And it is almost as though we could be led to believe that the holiness of God pushes us away or keeps us from coming close but we must understand what actually happens in each of these stories. Let's focus first on Isaiah's vision. After declaring that he is a man of unclean lips, an angel takes a burning coal from the altar and touches it to his lips and declares that his sin has been taken away. Now the coal from the altar, scholars agree, the coal from the altar represents the holiness 
of God. And God's holiness upon touching the sinner infects the sinner with holiness and purifies him. This could not be more important, right? And here's why it's important. Up to this point in the biblical story, from Genesis up to this vision of Isaiah, it is not holiness that infects the sinful, but the sinful that infect the pure. You with me? We have all these laws about how those who are considered ritually clean and pure must avoid all of that which is considered impure and ritually unclean because the belief is the infecting agent is the sin. And so you got to stay away from that. You can't touch that. This carries on all into uh, the, the, um, the Good Samaritan where you have the priests who go along the side of the road and do not help the person who's been stricken. And we say, oh, how awful can you be, priests, right? That's terrible, but let's give the priest a break. To touch the bloodied man would be to lose his job because he would be considered unclean. So we have an entire biblical history of, of a belief that is the infecting agent is sin to the pure. And now when Isaiah gets a vision of the holiness of God and we have all these kind of weird images of seraphs and all of that, and then we get the holiness of God represented in the coal taken from the altar, touched to the lips of the prophet, and now he declares that that is the cleansing agent. This is absolutely revolutionary to our understanding of God. That is, holiness is the infecting agent. Oh, I thought for sure I'd get a better amen there, right? This is good news, right? The infecting agent is the holiness, not the sin, which, which, which of course Jesus then demonstrates and embodies throughout his entire ministry where he goes and he touches and he heals and he interacts with all of those who were considered unclean. And, and the Pharisees and the priests and the religious leaders are looking at the ministry of Jesus going, what in the world is he doing? Right? And I'm pretty sure they stumbled like that. <laughs> because they're just like, this is absolutely mind-blowing to them. But what Jesus is doing, Jesus as the full son of God, who carries all the holiness of God, goes around demonstrating that holiness has the ability to purify sin. Come on, somebody. The holiness is the infecting agent, not the sin that we had always thought. It's a, it's a power, and then this powerful vision concludes with an invitation. Whom shall I send? And after having been purified by the holiness of God, Isaiah's response is, it's me, 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 right? Here I am, send me. Man, that's good news. Now, something similar happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul meets the resurrected Christ in person, like in the flesh, the resurrected Christ. The one that's like, hey, I saw you die, and now you're right here standing in front of me. Jesus, or Paul sees the resurrected Jesus, and his first response in coming into contact with the holiness of God and the resurrected Christ is to say, hold on, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle. But then what does he go on to say? And yet by God's grace, that's what I am. That it is, it is the 
purifying love of Christ that takes this man who once persecuted the church who then and then uses him to go and build the church. What is the infecting agent? It isn't the sinfulness, it's the holiness. The holiness, the holiness, the, the love, the goodness of God has the ability to come in and begin to purify and clean out all of that which we might be so ashamed of. And then our passage this morning ends with Jesus calling Peter to go and be a fisher of men and women. In fact, some scholars think that the huge catch of fish, this, this, this abundant blessing, is a metaphor for those who will come to know Christ in the short days following. That there will be this abundant harvest of people coming into the love of Christ, coming into faith in Christ. And here's the thread that I want to show you, and I think it's clear, but I want to make it explicit. That after seeing and capturing a vision of God, after an epiphany of the holiness of God, the goodness of God, the purity of God, the love of God, the power of God, after catching a vision, they are invited to participate in the work of God in the world. And here's, the, here's what I want you to understand today. The holiness of God does not push us away and call us unworthy. But rather, the holiness of God pulls us in and invites us despite our brokenness. That the holiness of God does not push us away and call us unworthy. But the holiness of God invites us and draws us in, purifies us as the infecting agent, and then sends us out. You with me? And so, so part of the reason that we gather week after week is kind of like, I don't know about you, but like every seven days, I need a reminder that holiness is the infecting agent. I need to come to church and be with you all and I need to sing praises and I need to preach a word to myself as a reminder to just say that, that it is God's love in me that purifies me. This is who I am in Christ and now I'm ready for another week. <laughs> right? And if I were to kind of be gone for a while, I'd start to miss that. And I'd start to miss just that weekly reminder of, of the goodness of God. And listen, some of you this morning may be in a place where you are ready to respond to the invitation of participation in the work of God, that you are ready to go. And, and some of you are like, no, please don't call me to be a pastor or send me to Africa, right? That's right. That's all right. I'm not saying that you are called into vocational ministry. You might be, and we would celebrate that. Uh, but you don't have to be. In fact, for many of you, what it will probably look like is mean going about your work in a way that honors God and helps others. That you go to, to your kind of everyday work and you begin to catch this vision that actually Jesus is joining you in that work. Right? That, that actually there is this sense in which I'm, I'm honoring to God, I'm honoring other people, and through my work I am contributing to the goodness of humanity. 
And yes, that's engineers and educators and real estate agents and custodians and all of that. It doesn't matter what you do. It can be done to the glory of God. And so some of you are there and you're ready to go to work having been reminded that it isn't sin that is the infecting agent. It's the holiness of God that can purify us for mission in the world. And you're ready to go with a new sense of purpose and holy calling of bringing God's loving rule to bear. But I'd be remiss to say that for others, this morning maybe you just need to sit with the reality. That the purity and the holiness and the love of God does not push us away. But rather it invites us in. And sometimes we think that God is so holy and good that he is untouchable. Or that we will never be deserving. And we come up with all kinds of, of we, we get in the, the, this self-talk that, that renders us unworthy of the love of God. And I just want to share with you the good news today. That God's holiness is a magnet that draws us in, invites us in, and calls you worthy despite your brokenness. Calls you loved despite the things that maybe you are ashamed of. It is the holiness of God that pushes away things like shame, right? It's the holiness of God that invites us in to recognize our true identity in Christ. And so I would want to say to you today, God's holiness wants to infect you. <laughs> that there's a bug going around and it's called the holiness of God. And the way to catch it is the way you catch any other bug. You open yourself up to it. <laughs> right? And so, so for some of you today, maybe the, the response is, would be simply to say, Oh, God, I need you to touch my lips and purify my heart. I need you to come in. I need this, this vision that Isaiah caught, this experience that Simon Peter had, this reality that the Apostle Paul experienced. I need that as well. And I would say to you, it is available to you that you can just by opening yourself up to the goodness and love of God that wants to come in and purify your heart. Amen? I don't think that the importance of this as a lens by which we view Scripture and the world can be overstated. To capture this vision based on Isaiah's vision and the ministry of Jesus, that holiness is far more infectious than we have previously believed. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the headline. This faith community discovers that holiness is more infectious than we've ever previously believed. <laughs> and that's the good news. 
Because it isn't the goodness of God that pushes you. It's the goodness of God that invites you in. Amen? That may be the shortest sermon on record, but that's what I have. That's the sermon. That's the word I have for you today. Oh, man, may it find root in our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh, man, I pray, God, that you would help us in understanding this truth in our own lives, that you want to come in despite all of our brokenness, all of our sinfulness, all the ways in which we fall short and all the things we might, all the reasons we might have for being ashamed, you want to come in and purify our hearts and infect us with your love and your holiness. God, may it be so for each and every one of us. And whether we're here today and we're saying, yes, that is me, and now I'm ready to go out into the world with a new sense of purpose, or whether we just need to sit with the reality that we are loved and called worthy by the grace of God. God, it's easy for us to identify with Paul when he says, I am not worthy to be. And how many of us have declared ourselves unworthy? But God, may we also not forget the conclusion that the Apostle Paul also came to, which is, and yet by the grace of God, So, Lord, may your, may your transforming grace be real in our lives and in our hearts today. May we be personally transformed. But, God, we recognize that there's this sense in which if a whole community of transformed people called the church would begin to understand that we are sent out to also be infectious agents of goodness and love and purity and holiness, then God, that there would be a, a, a ripple effect in the world. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to have that sense of being called out. To do what we do with a new sense of purpose and awareness of your presence. So God, thank you for all that you've done in our lives and in our hearts. Be with us now as we gather around the Lord's table today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.